0: all right folks welcome back to another episode of the investment news podcast i'm jeff benjamin here with my co-host and colleague bruce kelly in new york city the big apple as he likes to call it or somebody does i don't know we've got uh we got a fantastic special guest here this week to talk about the hellfire that is the financial markets these days Uh, Blair Ducanet, Investment Advisor Representative at Ritholtz Wealth Management, has joined us from New Orleans to uh, bring us up to speed on uh, what's the problem with these markets and uh, how she's talking to her clients and uh, how she can help us all sleep better at night. Right, Blair?
1: I don't know. I'll try to live up to that <laughs> in- intro. We'll see what we can do.
0: Yeah, yeah. That, uh, that didn't sound like a jump full, uh, two feet in, headlong into this thing. Come on. Let's... Uh, we know you got this, all right. That's why you're here. You're the
2: you're the you're the smart kid. So, anyway, how you doing, Bruce? Welcome back another week. Yes, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's nice to finally talk to Blair. I don't think we've ever spoken before, so
1: I don't think so. First yeah, time. That's a good thing. Nice to meet you.
2: Yes, nice to
0: meet you, too. Well, uh, Blair, uh, longtime friend of Investment News, I know you're a loyal uh, subscriber and reader, and uh, we, uh, we enjoy all the stuff that you're putting out there on social media. I think I've uh, seen both your kids grow up uh, on Twitter, um, which, is, which is fun and interesting. Um, but let's talk about these markets, all right? It's, uh, it's been, we're at the waning days of January here, and it's been rough. Yeah, especially after a couple of strong years since the March 2020 pullback. Everything seems to be down, and we'll get to as much of it as we
2: can, but... Uh, it's like a 10% drop, right, in the S&P uh, so far for yep. the month, from the high from yep. and January a worse. 3rd. That's kind of where we're at. So we haven't had... This is a big... This is in actual correction ter- territory, Jeff, people would say.
0: Yep. A uh, little worse for the NASDAQ and the Russell 3000, but... Right. Uh, Blair, what what does it look like from your end? We first of all want to get your kind of your, you know, your maybe your big picture a little bit, and then we'll talk to you about some of the things you're talking to clients about.
1: Absolutely. Without a doubt, you know, the market's selling off and it's not just a little bit right. It's a correction at this point, more so with the high flying large cap growth stocks, right, the the Nasdaq down 13 or 14 percent at this point. So that's pretty painful. But I do have to put this into a, not even a long-term perspective. If we just think about the last three years, um, although we had a, ma- a massive dip in the early part of 2020 with the COVID crash, we're looking at three years in a row of double-digit and sometimes high double, you know, meaning 20% or more in the U.S. stock market. To have a little bit of a pullback at this point is not that shocking. But of course, every time people get fearful, right? And so same story, different day. I think what's interesting is I was trying to look at the measure of volatility in the market, the VIX index, because when, when things really go haywire, right? COVID mm-hmm. crash, um, great financial crisis in 08, the VIX really spikes, spikes up. And we're sitting at about, what, 31 on the VIX. It actually got that high in early December anybody remember the market being bad in early December I don't know I've been slammed but I don't really remember anything yeah. memorable going on no I don't yeah and then the VIX was as high as almost 40 in late January of last year around this time last year uh-huh. uh, I don't I don't really remember that either so this is just the sell-off of the day so of course it's the one that's that we're talking about and that everybody's focused on Um, But in the context of the amazing returns for the stock market in just the last three years, not to mention basically the last 12 years, we got to pull back a little bit and and see the bigger picture and realize this isn't really that dramatic at all.
0: Right. And and a lot of the stuff that we all see on social media and stuff like that, um, I saw something from Burt White uh, earlier today saying if you can't handle a 10% correction, then something like you don't deserve the 25% gain last year or something like that. Yeah, in in context, it's you know you look at the big picture, and that's what people like Blair do. They kind of help people to realize in context that this is not the end of the world, but it's still when it's happening, it's still a little bit jarring, especially when it, it seems to be just a the just a brutal January across the board. And you know we're talking about things that you and I talked about a couple of days ago, Blair. The you know some of the factors, uh, inflation, Fed tightening, geopolitical issues. And then, you know, we're still in COVID, right? So what do you what do you talk to clients about? What do you, you know, I mean, specifically, what kind of things are you hearing from your clients? First of all,
1: the good news is, because, you know, across the board at our firm, all of our clients have a financial plan in place, and we've Mm -hmm. already given them that long term lens, right? And many of them have been through this multiple times before, right? Yeah. So the phone's not ringing off the hook. That doesn't mean that people who are really risk averse aren't still nervous. Right. And at this point, I kind of know who they are and I send them a little note, a little email and, you know, they kind of write back with a smiley face emoji. Thank you so much for taking the pressure off because they're watching it. But, you know, I'm telling clients this is a feature of stock market investing, not a bug. You know, the Twitter quote you had, I think, was a great one. The only reason we're able to get, you know, these 20 plus percent returns in the stock market is because we have to be willing to. On average, really, we have a 10% correction about once every calendar year. Now we didn't have one last year, but so maybe we forgot about that. Um but on average it's once maybe every four years that we get a twenty percent bear market or more. Mm -hmm. Every 10 years we seems like we see the stock market be cut in half, 50% declines. Um so this is normal and healthy. What's actually abnormal is what we saw last year, where I think we had one day where the stock market was down more than 1% on a single day. Um, that's not a normal year. So it's just retraining ourselves with the things we already know um, in the moment where the adrenaline gets pumping because the market's red every single day and in, in some cases pretty dramatic. And this week, really dramatic reversals, right?
2: Yeah. Gains
1: erased and or losses completely erased in the middle of the day. So people are a little bit out of their minds, I think, with what's going on right now well,
0: what about that uh you mentioned to me the other day and, and obviously we, you and i had an interview on a related topic the other day but uh what's kind of struck me as you said it's it's not all of these things that we can rattle off that look like they might be driving market volatility the things i mentioned earlier it's the things you don't know that you should be worried about and i'm gonna tell you that gave me a little bit of a pause i'm like oh crap now i have to worry about things i don't even know i should be worried about I mean, let's look at the things that are here. I mean, we can sit there and say, yeah, this happens, market cycles, all that other stuff. But you gotta, you got to kind of acknowledge that tumblers are sort of in line for this sort of thing right now, right? I mean, look at inflation at a 40-year high, and I don't know what the plans are to manage it aside from maybe a little mild Fed tightening.
1: Yeah. Inflation at seven plus percent. I think we just got GDP out today was GDP over at a, at a ridiculous high as well, over seven percent as well. Not used to seeing that yeah. in the U.S., especially since basically the turn of the 21st century. Um, so, yeah, if inflation if we can't bring inflation down and keep in mind that being up seven percent last year. And then being up another 7% this year and then another 7% the next year, that's what sustained high inflation would be. That would mean you know, the price of of bacon going up you know, 7% every single year in perpetuity. So even if we just stop the increases or slow them down a little bit, that's what the Fed is looking for. But without a doubt, that is probably what I think is the biggest named risk in the market right now is that the Fed is going to have to be forced to move faster than they want to. And, of course, the Fed's doing a dance with their – pr and their their attempt to be transparent in what they're doing and that everybody hangs on a single word from a fed communication i mean yesterday it was the word soon you know they're going to raise rates Mm -hmm. soon it's like they have to tell you it's coming it's coming it's coming boom now we did it and everybody seems like they're going to be shocked but you know we're going from the easiest monetary policy in history to tightening right that's going to have an impact on economic growth um we have russia standing at the doorsteps of actually physically invading Ukraine that seems very 20th century type conflict to me Um, a little bit outside of the realm of normalcy right Mm -hmm. from a geopolitical front but again once a risk is named and out there the market has a chance to try to price it in it's the unnamed risks that can really shock the system and COVID is a perfect example so in January of 2020 no economist had global pandemic and their forecast, everybody kind of had a rosy economic forecast and stock market forecast for 2020. Um, but none of us knew that there was going to be a global pandemic that would cause so much disruption in our lives. That's the biggest risk is the risk that the market has not had any opportunity yet to price in.
2: Mm-hmm. Bruce, anything for Blair? Yeah, Blair, thanks for all, all that, uh, uh, you know, commentary on the market and and the context If you could just tell us a little bit about Ritholtz Wealth. And it's a different kind of firm, um, I think. We've had Josh Brown on the podcast once or twice. And Jeff and I have known Josh for many years, for a decade or longer or whatever, since he broke into the business and was doing his blog and and writing his books and all that kind of stuff. And I was just looking at your LinkedIn profile or your profile on the Ritholtz Wealth Management um, site. And you kind of have an interesting journey to where you are right now. Uh, If you could Mm. just uh, speak about that a little bit, please.
1: Ritholtz, Wealth Management, we're we're really out there. We put it all out there between our eight bloggers at the firm, our YouTube channel, our CEO, Josh Brown, on CNBC three days a week, and our chairman and CIO, Barry Ritholtz, um, with the podcast, a very popular podcast, Masters in Business on Bloomberg and multiple television appearances. Um, We are really the first independent RIA firm to grow a national practice through earned media, right? And free media. Um, And it's it's an amazing growth story. I joined the firm in June of 2018. And so it's been three and a half, almost four years for me. It's been amazing to go from a smaller local New Orleans RIA where I might have two or three client meetings a week to a high volume very fast growing rocket ship where i have i'm lucky if i only have two or three client meetings a day um so it's been quite the journey it's a really exciting firm to to be a part of for a while we've known some of the traditional ways of building a financial advisory practice are gone you know cold calling Um, but for the most part i think if you talk to advisors most of them spend the majority of their time prospecting and trying to find their next client As an advisor at Redholds Wealth Management, I don't have to spend any time doing that because all of our content is causing people to reach out to us. And so what I love about being a part of this firm is all I have to do is pick up the phone and call somebody who's already gone to one of our websites and filled out a form saying, please have an advisor call me to talk to me about your financial planning and investment advisory services. Um, And I get to talk to really wonderful people from all over the country, who've earned money in a variety of different ways, whether that's working for a publicly traded company, being a a business owner or a professional, people of honestly all ages from young families up to, you know, been retired for a long time um, and help them with their financial planning and investment advice. And it's a dream job for me and I'm really happy to be there. And it's just been incredible to see the growth. I was, I think the 19th or 20th employee, um, we're getting close to 50 employees this year and I think that growth is just going to continue. And I'll have to pinch myself every morning when I wake up that I found my home.
2: So what's the message from the firm about what's happening in the markets? And is there any particular focus, you know, on large caps, small caps, crypto, Bitcoin? What What is the message that's emanating from Barry and Josh? I mean, I love Josh, but I can't watch, you know, CNBC every time at lunch when he's on the the lunch hour, or the power hour, or whatever they call it there.
1: One thing you'll never get from us is a forecast. You know, a lot of people may not realize um, that Tadis Viscanta added normal returns, which is an amazing financial news link cast. His tagline is forecast free. So we will always talk about what we're seeing and, and observing in the markets, but never right. with this, you know, we think by the end of the year, the S&P is going to rally back and be up 10%.
2: Right. So what's the message right now then?
1: Um, the message right now is what is causing this? And we don't know, but, you know, here are the narratives that people are talking about, interest rates, um, inflation, but that this is par for the course. It's not so shocking that the things that are selling off the fastest growth stocks were the things that were running up like crazy during the work-from-home pandemic period. Right. And, and since then, um, everybody who thought they were a genius buying some of these names, the Pelotons, the Zillows of the world, you know, they're finally getting their first taste of, oh, wait, markets are not that easy. So I think that's our general message is like, this is normal. This is not outside of the realm of what we should expect to see. In fact, what we've seen in in past years is what's not normal.
2: And anything on crypto?
1: Well, we did launch a cryptocurrency index in December of last year, not a market timing, Uh, call by any stretch of the imagination we've had clients who either made their wealth in crypto or have been asking us what to do about crypto and have been investing them on their own without our advice and we realized that there wasn't going to be a product to come to market that would be what we would want to use there wasn't going to be an etf with actual um, exposure to crypto so we partnered with wisdom tree um, to develop an an index and this is our um, explanation of how would you invest in crypto if you were to to take on the extra risk, right? This is an asset class that's extremely speculative, four to five times the volatility of the stock market. Um, And so we've taken a market weight adjusted approach. Yes, the biggest coins out there are Bitcoin and Ethereum, uh, but there's a whole lot of other investment in the space. There's a lot of um, projects being built by very intelligent, talented people. And so we've taken a, a, a smattering of other decentralized finance coins, metaverse coins, layer 2 protocol whatever you know all of the terminology is and, and put in the index you know a series of those additional coins to give us a broad-based exposure to the cryptocurrency space. As we would have expected Bitcoin is down 50% from its peak at one point this week. Right. And that is like the 10% correction in the stock market to us. That's a feature not a bug of crypto. I don't like comparing crypto to the early days of the Internet, but in a way we don't really know yet what the implications of cryptocurrency really are, except that there's a lot of really large institutions, really intelligent people putting money into this space. There's a there there. We don't want to try to pick the winners. Um, so we're taking you know same philosophy we do with stock market investing, which is a diversified market cap weighted ish approach. And we have a committee, like the S&P index has a committee, our wisdom tree, our RWM wisdom tree crypto index um, is developed by committee. And as new coins become available and meet the criteria of being added, some will be added, some may go by the wayside. While I tell all of my clients that none of them need a cryptocurrency investment to make their plans work, if anybody is looking to, you know, put some money on something that's more speculative, at appropriate position size in their portfolio knowing that it's probably going to be down 50% at some point and very volatile then that makes sense and so that's how we're feeling about crypto again it's not a it's not that we have a projection as to where we think crypto is going in the next year or two or even five but we do think that there's something there and that it might be worth taking a small portion of a portfolio and putting it at risk there
2: do you have a call like just, you know, 1% allocation or a 2% allocation for a client with a million dollars or two and a half million dollars or that's, you know, has has a growth objective or something like that in their, in their plan? Is there anything that formal?
1: You're about right in the low single digits is the recommendation. Right. There are clients with high risk tolerances that want to be, you know, more in the three to five percent um, or may get there because their coins are already just have grown to that. But yeah, I would say, you know, for the typical moderate high net worth investor, you know, a 1% allocation is probably where we would be. I always tell clients it's an amount of money that if you put it on the table and lit it on fire, it wouldn't change your life or really hurt you that badly. And if it works out, you're always going to wish you had put more.
2: That's a good rule of thumb.
0: Hey, Blair, what, what's the appetite for crypto right now with the people that you're talking to with crypto down i think 42% since halloween and it just seems to be a pretty rough run even though i know that you said expect four to five times the volatility of the, the equity markets but uh, you know this is you know something that's only been around since 2009 have uh, do you do you find people are feeling like they can buy low or are they are they going to say well I'm going to wait till it turns maybe direction a little bit
1: and this might just be my personal bias but I've had a lot of clients trying to put money into it this week Hmm. and that's because maybe we've talked about it but we weren't rushing into it and the time to buy is low right yeah and so our client at least from my perspective is people have been adding or opening accounts that they had planned to open but now there's a little more urgency because of there's been a crash doesn't mean it can't go down another 25, 30, 40, 50% from here, but it's always nice buying um, after it's already gone down 50% than before. So for new money coming in, there's been a little bit of an uptick, at least from my perspective in the last week, but nobody really rushed into it even in, in early December when we announced the product. You know, We weren't flowing into it. It's uh-huh. been kind of a, a slow go. And, and I pretty much counseled everybody, look, if you have a number that you've want to invest in this space, maybe split it in half and, and wait for that next 50% drop because it's coming and then add the second half thereafter.
0: Is there a minimum investment on that Wisdom Tree crypto index?
1: Uh, not really. I mean, it, we have a firm minimum inside of, of 10,000, but it's pretty liquid. You're buying the coins themselves. Uh-huh. It, it's not like there has to be a high minimum. It's not a private investment. It's a separately managed account.
0: Okay. All right. The last thing I want to ask you about quickly is uh, fixed income. <clears throat> um, I talked to a lot of financial advisors that uh, they say, you know, 60-40, 70-30, you know, stock bond allocations, those things are old school out the door. Um, and and some people say, you know, they just don't see the point in fixed income like that in most portfolios, even people in retirement. Where, what's the kind of the Ritholtz uh philosophy on on fixed income
1: yeah it, it's not fun right we don't like that interest rates are this low there's nothing we can do about it but at the end of the day bonds are the ballast in the portfolio mm-hmm. when the stock market has a bad year it can be down 30 40 50 percent bonds for the most part will be stable and a lot of bear markets bonds have given a little lift you know low positive returns in the cases where both stocks and bonds are down you know at worst bonds are down maybe five percent and I'm talking about Average duration, high credit quality bonds, not not risky bonds, not junk bonds or, or long dated bonds. Mm-hmm. So, yes, some clients have making made the choice to have more in stocks than they normally would, and we look at we go back to their financial plan. It's, I call it the three legged stool. Your capacity to take risk, which is really. How much wealth do you have versus how much you need to spend in retirement? So if you're spending as low as a percentage of your portfolio, you have a higher capacity to take risk. Your willingness to take risk, which is personal risk tolerance. Um, there are tools to try to assess it. Your risk tolerance should be pretty stable over time, but you will see people tend to get more aggressive or think they're more aggressive in, in bull markets and more conservative in bear markets. So that's a tough one, but you have to try to figure out what we don't want them jumping out of the ship during the storm. And then your um, time horizon, right? When are you going to need the money? And you know, longer means you can take more risk, shorter. So those three things have to come together through the financial planning process to figure out, first I go, what's the minimum amount of risk you can take and still meet your goals? And then if you want to take more, that's fine. But why take any more risk than you need to, or then, or then that makes you comfortable. I don't see the point of that. So, you know, clients still own bonds, they see it, they don't segregate it though as separate dollars. We're training our clients to look at everything in one bucket and it all has to work together. And if the last week or so hasn't convinced you of why you own bonds, then maybe you should be hundred percent stocks. But, um, for most of our clients, they've already earned their wealth. They're looking for preservation over preservation first. Growth is the second objective there.
0: All right, good stuff from uh, Blair Duke and a uh, Ritholtz Wealth Management. Uh, I guess uh, keep calm and carry on. Markets go both directions, and uh, if you have a little play money, uh, maybe get yourself some of that uh, crypto, right?
1: Absolutely, roll the dice.
0: All right, thank you
2: very much, Blair. Thanks, Blair. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody, we're back. This is Bruce. Uh, for our second segment uh, today, first of all, we want to say thanks again to Blair Ducanet of Ritualt's Wealth, um, uh, making us feel calm in these shaky markets. And uh, now Jeff and I just want to talk a little bit about one of these kind of unfortunate incidents that has happened a, a few times in the wealth management business during the pandemic. Financial advisors are people who work for um, some of these big financial advice firms. Um, get caught on uh, video speaking, you know, rudely or inappropriately to people in social situations, uh, outdoors, or in this case, a financial advisor from Merrill Lynch in Connecticut was very upset. He got a smoothie from this store in Connecticut and his son uh, drank the smoothie, had a peanut allergy, and wound up, uh, they had to call, uh, you know, the ambulance and he had to go to the hospital and, and be taken care of. And that's all according to the police report in this incident. And unfortunately, the financial advisor's name was James Ionazo. And he was a 20-year-plus veteran from Merrill Lynch up in uh, Fairfield, Connecticut. He went back into the uh, smoothie store and this was all recorded on tape. You can find it at investmentnews.com and on Twitter, uh, wanted to know who had made him the smoothie and and the like, and used the F-bomb uh, repeatedly, uh, threw, threw a drink at one of the workers there, called them something like an immigrant loser, and then, you know, other kind of, um, he, he tried, <laughs> it was just a kind of a, you got to watch the video <laughs> for yourself on this one if you haven't already. And um, it was a real mess and a very ugly incident. Um, And within that happened on a Saturday by, gosh, I mean, he was arrested, uh, charged with a couple of um, uh, misdemeanors and one felony, I believe. I didn't know there was a felony involved. I think there was a felony charge, too. It was three charges. Holy moly. You know, he was fired from Merrill Lynch, like, incredibly fast. And we were all... And and I mean it was we were talking to our editor Jeff right about this Paul Curcio, uh, I called up Paul on Sunday and said hey did you see the story and then he, Paul said yeah I was driving with my wife and my wife was reading it to me from Instagram or something you know this the so the advisor his lawyer issued a statement on social media stating the financial advisor whole, that Inazo whole wholly regrets the incident he is not a racist individual. He was acting out of, quote unquote, anger and fear of what had happened to his son, which is completely, of course, you're going to be upset if you come into a store and say, you know, I don't want peanut butter in the drink. And then the kid gets the drink and he has this awful reaction. And these things are very serious, of course. I mean, people can die, right, from these types of peanut allergies. I think, Jeff, your point was it was amazing how fast Merrill Lynch worked on this to fire the guy, right? Right.
0: Yeah, I guess that's the thing that kind of surprised me so much. I mean, I saw it over the weekend also, and I kind of figured we were going to do something with it because of the Merrill Lynch connection, you know, we're a financial trade publication.
2: Well, he was an advisor. I mean, he was for 25 years, you know, this is the guy's life. Right. And, you know, a couple of thoughts that I had, I mean, it's,
0: first of all, it's unfortunate. And, you know, when people catch you at your absolute worst on video... Um, we don't know anything about this guy. He might be a completely normal guy. Otherwise, lost his mind a little bit, playing the Papa Bear after his son was, you know, sent to the hospital. Well, there's no reason to indicate that he's not a normal, just a
2: regular person, right? You know? But now
0: he, you know, he lost his job uh, from that moment in time, and a lot of people will say that's 100% justified, and and maybe it is. But my question is, kind of the reaction from companies like Merrill Lynch without, I mean, you got to figure how much due diligence could they really have done uh, on a Sunday morning before they fired this guy and made big noise about the fact that they fired this guy. They could have said, you know, we're looking into it, it's very serious, you know, we'll take this, make this a top priority. Uh, but, you know, they said, no, you're fired. And, and it wasn't like he was, they said, you know, people like this don't represent in Merrill Lynch, and I don't think at any point he... I watched the video. I don't think at any point he said I represent Merrill Lynch. You know what I mean? He was representing his family. Yeah, that's just kind of where we are, and it's it's a you know it's a good warning for everyone. It's kind of like what used to be road rage, you know, getting upset at somebody that cuts you off in traffic. Now it's you know people are whatever they're doing is on video. It'll
2: cost you a lot. Uh, one thing I think is very interesting is that when you have something like this, I think LPL last summer or last September had an incident where an advisor made some kind of comment, a racial comment that was recorded, then kind of handed off to a social media person and got publicized. And then that LPL fired that, terminated that advisor as well, right? Mm-hmm. It, all this comes when the brokerage industry is, is facing um, a problem Uh, that a lot of industries are dealing with, right, is that they want to be more diverse. They want to have more women and black and Latino and gay, you know, people working. (laughs) And then they have something like this where, you know, uh, someone's an advisor is caught on tape saying you're an immigrant loser and using the F-bomb and throwing things, throwing this drink. So that's kind of the, you know, Merrill Lynch has been very public about saying, we're going to be more diverse, right? We've written stories about this. They're rele- last summer they released all kinds of numbers about how they're trying to be more diverse. And the country is much more sensitive to this because of Black Lives Matter and uh, everything that happened after George Floyd, right, was murdered. I think these big firms, uh, what else are they going to do but look at this and say, okay, we got to fire this guy. Yeah. I, given, the, I, given, I said- the, given where we are today.
0: Yeah, that's exactly where we are. There is, uh, you, you don't have... There's recourse. no wiggle room. <laughs> yeah, there's no recourse and there's yeah. obviously no due process. It's uh, it's all about the reaction. And so if you're right. wrong in some way, shape, or form, or you feel like you're being wronged in some way, shape, or form, I guess write an email or something or write a letter.
2: This this advisor, also his due process is in court. He has a February court appearance in Bridgeport Superior Court. He's been charged with... Um, intimidation based on bigotry or bias, breach of peace and criminal trespass. I think criminal trespass was the criminal charge Mm -hmm. against him. You know, will those be pled out or negotiated or whatever? Um, That's very likely in in things like this um, once you get in front of a judge. But that's where his due process is. Due process doesn't exist in in electronically or on Twitter, right? And apparently not in corporate America either. And uh, or, or, America. Or at least well, not at Merrill Lynch.
0: It'll be interesting to see what happens to him. He's obviously got a lot of experience and probably has some clients he could he could continue to. Maybe he ends up uh, being an independent financial advisor. He'll be. I
2: wouldn't be surprised if he's just or, an independent RIA, you know, or mm-hmm. joins a small broker dealer that has an RIA or something like that. I mean, yeah, it might
0: even open up a smoothie shop. You know, there's, you know, that could be an adventure. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, you know, hey, that's a tough business. Yeah, it is. You you gotta you gotta get those orders right. I'll
2: tell you that cause... <laughs> Anyway. All right, man. Anything else on your uh, mind no, this I, week, I, Professor Benjamin? All all
0: solid. Waiting for these markets to turn around so I can uh, start saving for retirement again in the in the right direction.
2: I thought it was interesting what Blair was saying about how the market is being whipsawed, or you were saying. Whipsawed on a daily basis right it's almost like you know this week it's been oh the market's way up this morning and then whoa it's way down in the afternoon that that to me is is a little different and adds a little more fear factor to things yeah
0: that that whipsaw thing is is usually an indicator of uh you know maybe more to come and right maybe exactly pull pullback. but you know like Blair said you gotta you gotta just keep riding unless you're uh unless you're You know, planning to cash out your portfolio this week,
2: uh, maybe don't worry about it so much right now. All right, Jeff. Thanks so much. All right. If it's Monday, it's time for another episode of the Investment News Podcast. We want to thank our special guest, Blair Dukene. We also want to thank Stephen Lamb, our producer. Of course, you can find the uh, podcast at investmentnews.com, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. Leave us a review on Apple. Follow us on Spotify. Uh, If you want to reach out to Jeff find him on Twitter. He's there all the time. 24/7. His handle is at Benji Ryder. Um, mine is at BD News Guy. Stay tuned. We'll be talking to you next week.